Second Chronicles chapter 9, uh, verse uh, 29. And Second um, Chronicles 9, 29, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, first and last, are they not written in the book of Nathan, the prophet, and in the prophecy of Ahijah, the Shilonite, and in the visions of Iddo, the seer, against Jeroboam, the son of Nebat? And Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel forty years, and Solomon slept with his fathers, and he was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his said. It was said in Proverbs 19.3, The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. And here is a situation, an occurrence, wherein Solomon, as we've been looking, he multiplied, going back to 1 Kings chapter 11, is that he loved many strange women. Now Solomon wrote these words, and he believed them there in Proverbs. But in fact, he didn't listen to them. It is difficult to trace the steps. You know, it isn't difficult as we look at it, and as you look at the scriptures, tracing Solomon's downward path. It was from the greatness and the wisdom that God gave him, and it was just a steady decline as he began to multiply into himself wives and women. The Lord wasn't impressed with Solomon's royal splendor, for the Lord looks on the heart, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Uh, context there was they were choosing the next king, uh, from Saul to David, and David was the chosen one, and uh, uh, Samuel went and chose David, but God, he was looking at the older brothers of Jesse and finding the fact that, you know, God says, uh, God doesn't look as man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. He searches the heart, 1 Chronicles 28.9, Jeremiah 17.10, and Revelation 2.23. Now, if Solomon, who wrote Proverbs 4.23, said, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, his own heart was yet far from the Lord. And out of his heart came a multiplicity of transgressions against the Lord. If our heart is wrong towards God, our entire life will be wrong. No matter how successful we may appear to others, there are those that are chasing big money. There are those who are chasing the acclaim or the riches of this world and their heart. They may give an attesting that they believe in God, but yet their heart is far from them. When Solomon was born, his name Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord, 2 Samuel 12, 24 and 25. So it was the Lord that had given Solomon a father, David, who though he wasn't perfect, we know David wasn't perfect, and yet David was known as a man after God's own heart. David's singularity of heart was upon the Lord. He had prayed for Solomon. I mean, I was just reading today, even there in, in my reading, and uh, in 1 Samuel about David, and uh, just, you know, he was running from Saul, and as I was thinking about this, David had a heart for people. Solomon had a heart for progress. David was mightily used of God because his heart was, he was still a shepherd at heart even as a king. Was hard on the people. But in this situation I read this morning as God was working in my own heart, David went to this particular city, and there were the Ziphites, And uh, he said, if I'm in this city, there was another city he went to, but he said, if I go to this city and I stay there, the people will deliver me. Uh, Or, and then one of the other cities he went to, he says, if I'm here, Saul will destroy me and the city. So I better run. 
So he ran for his safety, but he also ran because he didn't want the people to be hurt. He had already experienced where they had slain 85 prophets and destroyed the city. There where the city of prophets was. It was a horrible thing of Saul and David had a heart for people, but Solomon had a heart for building programs. He had a heart for administration, diplomacy. And twice the Lord had appears to Solomon, reminding him of the terms of the covenant he had made with his father. Here in 1 Kings 3, 5 and 9, 2. God warned Solomon, look at here, 1 Kings uh, 9, 2. Not that, it must have been 1 Samuel, <laughs> but... Um, off on that one. Three five in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God asked him, "Ask what I shall give thee." So God appears to him here, uh, and then He would appear to him once again. Uh, and as we look at this, oh, verse two, it is First Kings nine two, uh, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as He had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication. So this is here uh, at the dedication of the temple. And uh, I was looking at 10-2, not <laughs> 9-2. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, he, may, he appears to Solomon twice. So Solomon had free access to God. And God warns him that after his death, his kingdom is going to be divided by 10 tribes leaving and 2 staying. It would be Benjamin and Judah, right? And it's not going to be a peaceful thing. Now, here's something that's amazing, and I was also just this last week as I was looking at this. When Solomon inherited the kingdom, there was peace. There was unity. There was excitement. Now, Adonijah had previously, just prior to Solomon's assumption of the reign, uh, Adonijah had tried to take a coup. But if you think about this, when David took over the throne... There were those that were still believing that Saul's family was the rightful heir to the throne. So Saul takes over, excuse me, David takes over at a very divisive time. There's a lot of division in the kingdom. Saul is here, and then there's some that are for Saul, there's some that are for David, and there's division. And so David had to walk very cautiously and carefully in order to unify the nation. And he would, by God's grace. And it took some time, a number of years, before David would have the reign of all of the kingdom. And Solomon has basically life on a silver platter. And he does not appreciate what he's been given. He doesn't appreciate what his father has uh, exhorted him to do. Were it not for God's covenant with David and his love for Jerusalem, the city where the temple stood, God would have taken the entire kingdom away from all of Solomon's descendants. But God had made a Davidic covenant, uh, David's covenant, right? And God's name was upon the temple, 1 Kings 8.43. So he preserves it, such is the grace of God. Now, one of the things I want to look at here in 1 Kings chapter 11, we're going to read verses uh, uh, 14 through 25. 1 Kings 11, 14 through 25, Solomon resists God's discipline. And he does so in, an, in a unique fashion. Verse 14, And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the king's seed in Edom. For it came to pass, when David was in Edom, and Joab the captain of the host was gone up to bury the slain after 
He had smitten every male in Edom. For six months did Joab remain there with all Israel until he had cut off every male in Edom. That Hadad fled, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him to go into Egypt. Hadad being yet a little child, and they arose out of Midian and came to Paran, and they took men with them out of Paran. And they came to Egypt unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, which gave him an house and appointed him victuals and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him to wife the sister of his own wife, the sister of Topanes, the queen. And the sister of Topanes bare him Genubath, his son, whom Topanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Genubath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. And when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers and that Joab, the captain of the host, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, then I may go to mine own country. Then Pharaoh said unto him, But what hast thou lacked with me? That, behold, thou seekest to go to thine own country. And he answered nothing. Albeit, let me go in any wise. And God stirred him up another adversary, Rizon, the son of Eliada, which fled from his lord Hadad-Ezer, king of Zobah. And they gathered men unto him, became captain over a band, when David slew them of Zobah. And they went to Damascus, and dwelt therein, and reigned in Damascus. And he was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon, beside the mischief that Hadad did. And he abhorred Israel, and reigned over Syria. Solomon's many marriages had been his guarantee of peace on a diplomacy scale with the neighboring rulers. Solomon's reign had been peaceful, but now his system begins to fall apart. Why? Because God raises up adversaries in our lives. And you know what God does that in our lives? God will raise up people that might be a thorn in our flesh, might be irritating, Because it could very well be, God said, I'm I'm trying to change something in your life. God would discipline David's disobedient heirs as part of the covenant, which were reaffirmed to Solomon when God spoke to him at Gibeon. It was repeated while Solomon was building the temple that if we deviate from God and we go into captivity or we go into bondage or you raise up adversaries, Solomon knew all of this. It was in his very prayer there in 1 Kings 9. Solomon knew all of this, and yet his heart walked after women seeking diplomacy. He multiplied unto himself hundreds of chariots. I mean, Solomon, he built the temple after the temple was dedicated. I mean, you think about this, 1 Chronicles 22.10. He shall build an house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgment, Psalm 89, 30. If they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, verse 32, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. He says, my covenant, verse 34, will I not break nor alter the thing that that has gone out of my lips. Verse 35, once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne is the son before me. So God says, I'm going to keep the commitment I made to David, but, but, doesn't mean it's going to be peaceful. You know, the king certainly could not have been ignorant of the dangers of disobeying the Lord. He, Solomon knew that. I mean, he's the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon knew. So in verses 14 through 22, God raises up Hadad the Edomite. And God does this in our lives as well. He'll raise up, again, as I said, an opponent 
someone that may have been peaceful at one time and is now an adversary. Uh, it can be a family member, co-worker, church, whatever the case, God can raise up someone because he's trying to get our attention on something in our life. And Solomon had women from Edom in his own harem, as you'd find in verse 1. Edomites. But this doesn't stop Hadad from making trouble. David and Joab had won a great victory over Edom, had wiped out the male population, 2 Samuel 8, 1 Chronicles 18. But Hadad, one of the princes, had fled some of, with some of his father's leaders. And they found asylum here in Egypt. Remember that also here in chapter 11, verse 1, David, uh, excuse me, Solomon had married Pharaoh's daughter. Hadad also marries one of Pharaoh's sister-in-laws. And not only that, but Hadad gives land and privilege. This new Pharaoh, who didn't find it necessary to recognize Solomon's marriage treaty with the Egyptian princess, he gives even more to Hadad than what Solomon gained. Egypt and Edom were now in league against Israel. The death of King David, the death of Joab, it means that it's now safe for Hadad to come back and bring bams to terrorize the Israelites. Hadad planned to strengthen the nation, direct a series of attacks against Israel little by little. He knew he couldn't overtake Solomon's kingdom. But the Lord would use him to cause great consternation and irritation in his life. The constant irritation from the south should have reminded Solomon that God was disciplining him. If that is not enough, God raises up Rezon, verses 23 to 25. David defeated the Syrians of Zobah. A young man named Rezon fled to Damascus with a band of soldiers and set himself up as king. David apparently uh, recognizes him as a king. And he was a capable man because the power of Syria increased under this man's leadership. Rezon was this Rezon... <laughs> however you pronounce this man's life, he harasses. So Solomon has harassment from the north. He has harassment from the south. The irritation and the affliction upon Solomon's kingdom is continuing. It should be a reminder when there is increased conflict in our life with others, that maybe God is saying, I'm trying to discipline you and tell you there's some warning signs in your life, something's not right. He this resin establishes a dynasty of strong rulers in the area known as Aram, all of whom gave trouble to the kings of Judah. 1 Kings 15, 2 Kings 8 through 13, and 15 through 16. He was the king of Aram, which is Syria, during the time of Isaiah the prophet. Let's look at verses 26 through 43 here as Solomon opposes God's servant. Verse 26, And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephratite, of Zerida, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow woman. Even he lifted up his hand against the king, and this was the cause that he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built Milo and repaired the breaches of the city of David, his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man, that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. It came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him in the way. 
And he had clad himself with a new garment, and they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in twelve pieces, and said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel. Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of thine hand of Solomon, and will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake. The city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because that they have forsaken me, and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes, to keep my statutes and my judgments, as did David his father. Howbeit, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David my servant's sake, whom I chose, because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and will give it unto thee and even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe, that David my servant may have a light alway before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen to put my name there. And I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all that thy servant desireth, and shalt be king over Israel. And it shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and wilt walk in my ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did. But I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house, as I built for David. And will give Israel unto thee, and I will uh, for this afflict the seed of David, but not forever. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. And Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt, unto Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. And the rest of the acts of Solomon, and all that he did, and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? At, and the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem, over all Israel was forty years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his stead. Hey dad, attacks from the south, resin from the north. Jeroboam was one of Solomon's own leaders who threatened him from within his own ranks. Solomon is imploding. He has pressure outside, he has pressure inside. Everything is beginning to fall apart in his life. He had incredible leadership qualities, management qualities. I mean, he caught the eye of Jeroboam, of uh, Solomon, excuse me. He was from the tribe of Ephraim, which if you remember, the tribe of Ephraim is of one of Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Solomon puts him in charge of the Jewish labor force from the house of Joseph, namely, again, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. But now the nation had grown weary of Solomon's building. I mean, it was just building, building, building all the houses for all of his women. And I mean, if you have 700 wives and 300 concubines, uh, you're going to have a lot of children. I mean, you're going to have a tremendous building. Now, all these taxes to afford Solomon all the wealth that he is accumulating unto himself and to the government. The nation grows weary of it, especially the way he would conscript the Jews to do the work. Chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Young Jeroboam has an introduction to the undercurrents of opposition, and he capitalizes on this discontentment. Solomon had put him over the northern tribes to assist him, to help. God tells Jeroboam, you know, in the course, Jeroboam was stopped by Hijah the prophet from Shiloh, who had a message for him. And I mean, during Solomon's reigns, the prophets didn't play a prominent role, but here he plays a very prominent role, particularly for Judah. When a king or a priest would defy the word of God, God would often send a prophet over them or to speak to them, say, Hey, listen, waken up, listen up. Right? <laughs> These prophets wore 
forth tellers more than foretellers. I mean, they, they would say, listen, you don't turn from your wickedness. So he brings a message, much like we'd have in the present day, revealing, uh, you know, kind of like a preacher does, or the word of God, as you bring the word of God to someone, letting them know, hey, your disobedience is going to warrant God's judgment. Ahijah uses an application. He begins to take some cloak. He takes this piece of cloth, right, and he rips it up, just 12 pieces. And as he does this, and this tearing it apart, letting him know, Jeroboam, you have 10 tribes of Israel that you're going to be in charge of. This new garment, torn. But he tells Jeroboam, he gives him a condition. You must do right as David did. You know what I find it amazing? That David's righteousness before God, minus his huge blot on his career, but David's righteousness, I mean, even David had many wives too. And that was another very serious problem and would cause succeeding problems down through the generations. But it also, God's problem, you know what that also lets us know? That you know what, we can have problems in our lives and God can still use us. David's life, but his righteousness and zeal and passion for God would end up protecting his succeeding generations to stay on the throne by God's grace and mercy. God, Ahijah explains why two tribes were still reserved uh, for Solomon's descendants. It was for David's sake. Solomon hadn't kept the terms of the agreement. The lamp would burn for David until the end of the Jewish monarchy would fall uh, under Zedekiah. Ahijah closes this message by warning Jeroboam that what will happen to him is holy of God's grace. He says, Jeroboam, you better take it seriously. As we look at verse 33, to do that which is right, we find why he's taken him away. And Jeroboam, the dynasty of David, would be greatly diminished because of Solomon's loss of focus. God would humble David's successors. Do you think because you have David as your father, this great man whom Israel dearly loved at the end of his life, that somehow you have a rightful heir to authority and power? And God says that's not the case. I'm going to bring up opposition to you. You know what? When we get proud in our own lives, we get proud of our achievements or proud of of ourselves, God will raise up opposition to pretty quickly bring us down. And there would be a healing of the division of the nation when Messiah would come. And then the king would reign over the whole nation. Ahijah and Jeroboam were alone in the field when the message was delivered. Verse 29. But what is said here to Jeroboam would somehow reach back to Solomon. Maybe he told some of his close associates that I'm going to be king over ten tribes. And somehow that word spread to others and eventually reached the king's ears. 
that Solomon was not treating his people the way they ought to be treated. And, and so God gives Ahijah permission to send this message to Solomon. This is God's last word of discipline to Solomon. Rebuke. For Solomon's waywardness and absolute disobedience. When you want to awaken the attention of someone in authority, you take away their authority and their power. And so this is the last discipline. He says, Solomon, you're done. This is it. This kingdom's going to be lost. Because you have deviated. And as we looked in Deuteronomy previously about not multiplying wives and not multiplying chariots, Solomon, not only did he uh, just a little bit disobey, I mean, it was extravagantly extravagant disobedience. But irregardless, irrespective of how great or how small the disobedience was, it was rebellion. And if we are disobedient to God and we are not listening and we're transgressing, stepping over what God wants us to do, God will make opposition in our life. Your life will get a lot more difficult. It'll be a very uncomfortable place. Solomon, hearing these words, should have fallen on his face, pleading with God in absolute contrite repentance. I mean contrite, he's just... He's on his face before God, much like Psalm 51 of David after the, uh, the affair with Bathsheba and the death of Uriah, the murder of Uriah. Jeroboam flees to Egypt for safety. The new Pharaoh, a man, Shishak, was a man who had no obligations to the house of David. There's no diplomacy there. There's, n- there's no covenant. There's nothing there. So this new Pharaoh takes Jeroboam in. Solomon had forsaken the Lord. He had hurt the nation. And you know what? If we are disobedient to the Lord, our actions will afflict and affect those who follow us. Because if I'm not focused on the Lord, my lack of attention to me, you know, I I heard something, what is done in moderation is done to excess in the next generation. What I might do a little, the next generation, my daughter, she very well may do to excess. And the sin of idolatry here of Solomon, it cut at the heart of Israel's faith. Jehovah's the only true living God. Solomon would reign from 971 to 931 B.C. Did he return to the Lord before he died? There's some, dis- there's some uh, waffling on this. Uh, there is some indication, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, which read, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So it does seem to indicate here in Ecclesiastes that Solomon does, and this is at the end of his life, Ecclesiastes is written, that Solomon did repent. <laughs> there was a lot of devastation before he brought it to that place. He has a nation that's going to go through unbelievable upheaval and division and hurt. Neighbor against neighbor, friend against friend, family against family. The accomplishments of his life are very well recorded. 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Psalm is the first Jewish king whose death was recorded in the official words of verses 41 through 43. 
As we read in 2 Chronicles 9.29, now the rest of the Acts of Solomon, it goes on. 2 Chronicles 12.15, now the Acts of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the book? And it goes on, 2 Chronicles 26.22, uh, now the rest of the Acts of Uzziah, uh, chapter 32.32, now the rest of the Acts of Hezekiah. And it begins to chronicle the lives of these kings. Solomon had unbelievable opportunities given to him, and he squandered them. He wasted them. He knew a lot about animals, plants, bringing wealth, diplomacy. He was a genius, constructing buildings. But what he had in head knowledge was defective in sharing the knowledge of the Lord with the Gentiles who came to his throne. He used his diplomacy for selfish reasons rather than bringing people to the knowledge of God. God wanted Israel. He, he elevated them in prominence in the world stage so that they could continue to bring, see what God hath done. But Solomon uses all of this prominence to continue to heap up unto himself favors and wealth. And God very well may give us things in our lives to prop us up. He gives us you know, pr particular promotions or other things in our lives that God will put into our place to continue to be a greater light for Him where we are planted, where, we're, where our mission field is, which is the workplace in this community. And like his father, David, he had a gift, though, for enjoying women. He would say a penchant for women. But what he didn't have, David had a heart for the Lord. Solomon had a heart for pleasing women over God. Solomon had a heart for materialism. David had a heart for God. David knew what it was like to run for his life on multiple occasions. To have his own son, uh, Absalom, try to get, come after him. To have his other son, Adonijah, come after him. Solomon knew what it was like to be away from God. And he left the temple of God, he left the royal palace, and he left it in bondage. The nation was united during his reign, and there was a hairline split in the nation. And Solomon's hunger for wealth and achievement would hurt his people. People did worse than that. They followed Solomon's bad example and began to worship the gods of their neighbors. It was this sin, more than any other, that brought about downfall of the Jewish nation. Solomon imported wives. He wrote, William Sanford, William Sanford Lesore wrote, The wives imported the gods. Solomon tolerated it, encouraged it, built places of worship for these idolaters. What can you expect the people to do but follow a law? Solomon had made the example. And may our allegiance always be sincere and loyal obedience to Jesus Christ, the one greater than Solomon, who died for us, who lives for us, and one day who will come for us. I'm going to finish up there today with this. And the foolish wisdom man, Solomon, he made many mistakes. May we not follow suit. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd help us as you give us promotions, as you give us guidance and direction for life, that, Father, you would help us to be found faithful. Lord, I love you and thank you for your wonderful gift of life and the grace you've bestowed upon us. In Jesus' precious name I pray.